Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Corso, and joined by my co-host, Kyle Sontag. How's it going, Kyle? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, exciting time of year where, uh, you know, not only are the holidays coming up, but the Dynasty owners are uh, kind of returning from their fantasy football hibernation. There's more trade talks. People are starting to get ready for FYPDs and all the, the off-season stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to get uh, the Dynasty season, season fully underway uh, soon here. So um excited about that. And then kind of excited to see, you know, what's going on with the um, MLB free agency picking up now as a, as a Giants fan uh, was not shocked, but was uh, a little bit disappointed to see, you know, Otani go to the Dodgers along with them acquiring uh, Tyler Glass now via trade. But what were your thoughts on just kind of overall the Dodgers moves and then, um, you know, what's going on in, in free agency? Obviously, they're, you know, uh, a drastically better team now. That's that's not a question when you add guys like Otani and Glass now. But my initial reaction when they added Glass now was, holy crap, that's a lot of money. And then you learn about the deferrals and you realize, you know, they are really going to continue spending. And they have to this point with adding, you know, Glass now in that trade. And they're still rumored to be in on guys like Yamamoto and all that. So, you know, I I think they could be uh, a couple weeks away from turning themselves into a real powerhouse here for the next five to 10 years of Otani's contract. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, they're definitely doing everything they can to uh, to maximize his time there and and prove to him that they're committed to winning. Now, where do you stand on super teams? I mean, this this definitely has the makings of the beginning of a super team here particularly if they get Yamamoto, which I'm kind of expecting at this point. Um, are, are you in favor of super teams in, in sports or in baseball? Or or do you not, do you think that it should be uh, more widely spread talent? I'm, I'm a little bit torn on it. I think in baseball, it's not as big of an issue as when you look at something like, say, a super team in basketball, because when you only have, five guys on the court at a time and maybe eight that see the game see time in any game that you know two or three player super team you've got makes a way bigger difference than it does in something like baseball that being said this is you know kind of the the first chance I think that we're we're going to have to see what it really looks like in the MLB and I'm I am really interested to see what happens here yeah yeah we're definitely in uncharted territory I mean Look at the contract Otani got and, you know, just how unique and, and strange that was. And, um, you know, even <laughs> clauses where he can opt out if if uh, Andrew Friedman leaves the Dodgers and, and things like that. But uh, enough about MLB free agency. Uh, today, we're going to talk about our breakouts. So over the course of this offseason, we've covered a couple different groups of players that we think, you know, might be kind of targets for buy lows or, or breakouts. Uh, but today we're going to put it all together. And we each have selected a team at, uh, with a player at each position that we're thinking is going to break out this season. So other than just putting together a team of breakouts, we didn't have any strict, you know, kind of rules on the methodology that we used. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of what methodology you used. And I'll cover mine before we get going on the actual players themselves. Yeah, so for the most part, I looked at, you know, a, a couple different sources of maybe where a player's value is perceived currently. And a lot of that was either the overall dynasty rankings over on Rotowire that James Anderson does, 
Um, and I just want to plug him real quick because I think he is far and away one of the, the best minds out there when it comes to Dynasty Baseball. And he's one of the the guys that I trust more than anybody else as far as his rankings go. So I was looking at his rankings. And then the other thing I looked at a little bit were the NFBC ADP. Now, NFBC is the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. They are a redraft-based system. So some of the ADP there might be a little bit off compared to what it would be in Dynasty, but they are among some of the best uh, you know, fantasy players out there. And they have over 100 leagues already drafted. So they are far and away one of the, the best samples for ADP we have right now. So I looked at some of those rankings and I looked at how some of these guys performed last year. And, you know, whether or not I think that their performance this coming year could be strong enough to boost them. I, you know, didn't necessarily count out a guy if he was in or near the top 100, because some of those guys still have potential to be, you know, a top 50 player this time next year, that kind of thing. So for me, it wasn't so much about where they are currently ranked but it was more about how much I think they could potentially rise given a good season. Yeah, I would agree. I, I had a similar um, similar methodology. I didn't use an FBC necessarily, but I did take a look at uh, ADP in Fantrax along with um, several different dynasty rankings. So you mentioned looking at Rotowire. I also um, took into account uh, Imaginary Brick Wall, Prospects Lives, and Dynasty Dugout. So um, just kind of from those rankings, I just took a median to kind of give a approximation of their value and then kind of looking at, you know, where where they're valued on different dynasty lists versus like where I would have them valued and picking out players I felt were, um, you know, going to jump the most spots uh, in those rankings. So similar methodology for me, um, but let's get into it. So we're going to start with catcher. Who was your uh, breakout catcher? My breakout catcher is Luis Campiasano over in San Diego. This is a guy who, in my opinion, really just needs a chance. You know, this past year, he set career highs with 49 games played and 174 plate appearances. And for a guy who was considered a top 50 or so prospect as recently as 2022 to, you know, set career highs with those low of numbers, he really hasn't been given much of an opportunity at this point. So, you know, those numbers obviously aren't enough to qualify for any rankings, but if they were, he would have ranked in the top 75th percentile or better in all of, you know, expected weighted on base average or ex-boba, expected batting average, expecting slugging percentage, sweet spot percentage, whiff percentage, and K percentage. Now, again, you know, 49 games is a relatively small sample, but when you take all of those fantastic uh rankings and then add in that he slashed 319 356 491 with seven home runs there's a lot to like here and you know when we look at the Padres specifically they've been dealing a ton of prospects in recent years but they've held on to Campusano and I think that you know means something now they have been sitting him for guys 
that are a little bit more defensive minded because that's often the biggest knock on Campusano's game. And they did just bring in a similar type player in Kyle Higashioka. But outside of Higashioka, the only other catcher on San Diego's 40-man roster right now is Brett Sullivan. And I just don't see at this point San Diego playing those guys consistently over Campusano. And part of that is because the Padres started to give him a chance finally at the end of last season. 41 of his 49 games played came in the second half of the 2023 season. So I think when you look at all of the stats, all of the numbers, all of the, you know, ratios that he's been putting up, albeit in small sample sizes to this point in his career, if he gets finally that opportunity to play, I think he could be a big riser. Yeah, I, I love this pick. Um, he's ranked so low on these dynasty lists that it's, you know, it's not going to take much for him to rise up. And I think for all the reasons you just mentioned, there's a lot of potential here. I One thing I just want to point out is he's had a really bizarre uh, track record with, you know, his time in the minors and, and Major League Baseball. You know, 2020, he actually debuted in the majors very briefly, uh, went from high A to the majors due to that, you know, no minor league season. Then he skipped double A. Um, you know, has had stints in both AAA and the majors in 2021 and 2022. Um, you know, he he was slowed by like a thumb injury last year. Um, but, you know, like you've outlined, he showed a lot of promise. And I think, you know, I'm not too worried about Higashioka, despite the defensive concerns with Camp Usano. I think this is his opportunity to seize that that starting role. Um, and, you know, I'm really encouraged by the fact that he just doesn't strike out at all. You know, he looks like a good hitter. Um, you know, with with solid power. And I think you saw that with the 875 OPS that he posted uh, after the All-Star break. But one thing I, I will caution is I wonder, you know, this is his time to seize it. If he doesn't seize it, uh, he might lose that role to Salas sooner rather than later. And I know Salas is like 17 years old <laughs> and, you know, he, he seems like he's a long way off, but, you know, he did finish in double A. I would not be shocked at all if he makes the big leagues uh, in September this year, and if he's the opening day catcher uh, in 2025. So just keep that in mind that, you know, Camp Usano's gotta, gotta perform here, or, you know, if he gets hurt or something, he could, he could miss his chance. You know, hopefully uh, he'll get his opportunity somewhere, but he's 25 years old and it's time, it's time for him to seize it. But I, I do believe he will. And I like that pick a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there there is that concern with guys like Salas coming up behind him. But I think even if he does, you know, get hurt or whatever, I think there's a good chance that they end up trading him and he gets an opportunity somewhere else. I don't think this is necessarily his last chance, maybe his second to last, but I, I do think there's a lot of reason to think that he's going to make a big jump this season. I agree. And where he's being ranked and, and, uh, valued is, you know, it's not going to take much for him to, um, you know, really be worth, uh, you know, acquiring him or drafting him. So I'm, I'm all on board with that. Um, my catcher is, um, Logan O'Hop. So he's 23 in the angels organization. He was actually originally drafted by, uh, the Phillies in the 23rd round, which is kind of shocking, uh, of the 22, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 23rd round, and then was traded in 2022 for Brandon Marsh. So 
Um, he performed well in a late season cup of coffee uh, in 2022 and then was made the starting catcher out of spring training in 2023. And he performed really well. He had an 886 OPS through his first 59 plate appearances. And then he tore his labrum uh, in late April and required surgery. Came back in August, uh, struggled in his initial um, you know, time coming back from surgery and then just took off in September with an epic nine home runs and 96 plate appearances. So, you know, anytime that you have a hitter who has shoulder surgery, you kind of worry about the power coming back. But, you know, obviously he showed in that September sample that the power is not a concern. He posted strong stack cast numbers with good exit velos. Um, his expected batting average was actually 30 points higher than, um, than his regular batting average. And, you know, that can be attributed to a low 240 Babbitt. So this is a guy who looks like he's going to hit for a nice average, um, nice power. You know, he's not going to have a ton of stolen bases, didn't have any last year, but he's got a solid sprint speed. So, you know, he could chip in a few, um, you know, wasn't great defensively by, by stack numbers, but was seen as an above average defensive prospect. And, you know, anytime you have a, a catcher coming to the big leagues, you know, there's always an adjustment period. Um, but I have no concerns about the bat. I think the the glove will be good enough that he'll be able to retain that starting role. Uh, I think he showed that he was healthy at the end of last year, and I think he's primed for a big year in 2024. Let's Logan O'Hop. Yeah, I, I really like this pick. This was a guy that I was looking at as well before I ultimately decided on Campusano for my pick. And, you know, outside of the injury and how that can sometimes sap the power, like you said, he answered those questions. But for the most part, any other concerns in his profile were kind of approach related as he didn't really walk much in 2023 and swung and missed too much. However, both his K and walk rates in 2023 were among the worst marks of his pro career. So even if he can get, you know, closer to his norm in the minors, the walk rate in particular and continue to impact the ball like he has at this point in the majors. I, I really like this pick, and I agree he's going to really rise if he can just basically continue what continue doing what he did at the end of the season. Yeah, sounds like we're in agreement on our catchers. So who were some of your uh, honorable mentions that you considered for your team? So a couple other guys I considered were Gabriel Mourinho in Arizona and Bo Naylor over in Cleveland. These are guys that I really like, but... The reason I ultimately didn't go with either of them is because it seems like the industry is kind of catching up on them already. And they were ranked kind of everywhere I looked much closer to what I feel is appropriate than guys like Campusano or Ohapi. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I, I did consider Bo Naylor and actually, you know, it's funny that Naylor's uh, rankings are kind of all over the place. You know, when I was looking at um, the various dynasty rankings, he actually had a lower uh, median ranking than than Ohapi. So, you know, it, it, there is some inconsistency with where uh, people are valuing Bo Naylor, but I, I like him a lot. Um, Henry Davis is another one with the injury to, to um, Andy Rodriguez. You know, he's going to catch. They had already said he was going to prior to that injury. Um, but again, you know, I feel like he's being valued quite a bit higher. Um, but yeah, those were, those were two that I had kind of my eye on as well. 
Yeah, the really nice thing about Henry Davis, like you said, is the fact that he is now going to, we know, hold catcher eligibility. I think a lot of where he was drafted or has been drafted have been with the thought that he would become outfield only. And that may still happen, but it'll be at least a year later at this point. So that extra year or two of catcher eligibility is going to be really nice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, All right, let's move on to first base. So who is your first baseman? My first baseman is Vinny Pasquantino. And this, you know, might be a little bit borderline as far as, you know, what qualifies here, because in my opinion, he would already be ranked significantly higher if not for the injury that derailed his season in 2023. You know, he, in my opinion, is just flat out going to hit. Um, Between his first two big league seasons, he has a total of 558 plate appearances in 133 games. So in just under what would be a full season, he has slashed 272, 355, 444 with 19 home runs. Now, yes, playing in Kaufman is going to suppress the power a bit. And yes, he is coming off that season-ending shoulder injury in 2023, which as we just talked about, you know, we sometimes have some concern about whether or not that's going to sap a player's power, but I'm really not that concerned. When you look at his savant page from his rookie year in particular in 2022, it is nothing but red. Now there was a little bit of blue in 2023, but still mostly more of the same with tons of red on there. And I think the only reason, as I mentioned, he's not already considered a top 100, maybe even top 50 dynasty asset is because of that injury last year. And if you are in a startup draft, I would not hesitate to take him well ahead of his ADP and make him maybe the sixth or seventh first baseman off the board, maybe even as high as fifth. Yeah, I I completely agree. I actually was going to select Vinny until I saw that that you had decided to take him. So really like that. And in terms of, you know, where he's ranked, I think first base is a little bit um, difficult because there's so many good young first basemen that are all ranked fairly highly that, you know, you, you kind of take your pick of which one of them you think is going to jump the pack and, and um, you'll be a big breakout. And I think Vinny P is a, a good selection for that. I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, his ability to, to hit for an average. He is a plus plus OPS uh, bat, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, I'm sorry, OBP bat, like an OP, OBP leagues, he's going to be a huge asset. He's going to be a huge asset in points leagues. Um, you know, he'll be fine in average leagues. You know, the, the power is kind of a question with him, you know, like you mentioned with the ballpark, but you know, I, I think we're going to see him, you know, hit 20 plus home runs a year, 25 plus, And, you know, with those good ratios, that's going to play. Um, it, it kind of reminds me similar to like early season, Freddie Freeman, just, you know, from a, a statistical profile, but not saying he's going to develop into Freddie Freeman. He's a lot older than, than Freeman was and never had the pedigree. You know, he's a, he's not the defender uh, Freeman was either, but I, I think, you know, you're going to have uh, some really solid seasons early career. I think he's going to have some great peak seasons where he maybe hits 30 plus home runs um, perhaps once he's out of that uh, Kauffman stadium. But yeah, I really like Vinny P I, I don't really have too many concerns about his ability to uh, come back and perform even with that season ending injury. So um, really love the pick there. Um, my pick is uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, uh, who's 23 years old from the Reds. 
So he was a fourth round pick in 2021, acquired by the Reds in the 2022 deal um, for Tyler Molly, uh, where he came over along with Spencer Steer. And that one looks really, really bad for the Twins at this point. Um, yeah. Had a late season start um, after a preseason uh, back injury and then just smashed the ball all year. And that's really been his MO. He has some of the biggest raw power of anyone in the minors. Um, you know, three, 306 ISO and 316 plate appearances at AAA, which is just insane. Um, but he backed that up in the big leagues as well with a 207 ISO and 13 home runs and 241 plate appearances. Now, you know, he's kind of rated with a questionable hit tool. He doesn't walk much. He strikes out too much, but damn, he really hits the ball hard. Um, he's definitely an average over OBP guy. He's never walked a lot and doesn't really project to, um, but posts really, really good EVs and barrels the ball a lot. I mean, you look at his minor league stats and he has over 30 home runs across both of his last two seasons in the minors. He's never posted an ISO below 200 and he's posted ISOs of 300 or higher across three minor league levels. Um, you know, while the K rate, has been fairly high. It's never been extreme. You know, he's never had a K rate of higher than 28%. And he really showed some improvements in that regard last year in AAA, where he had a K rate of 21.8%. And then he actually also showed, you know, for the first time an ability to really draw some walks with the 10% walk rate. Now, I don't think that 10% walk rate is going to translate. I, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a really strong OBP guy, but I think that the strikeouts Although a little bit on the high side, you'll take that with the amount of power that he's going to be able to show. And you look at where he is, um, you know, where he plays his home games in that ballpark, and then the supporting lineup that he's going to have around him. I mean, he's going to put up monster stats. Now, I'd be more excited about him uh, if Jamer Candelario had not signed with Cincinnati because that does muddy the playing time field a little bit. But I still think one of those infielders is going to get traded. Uh, they need pitching. It makes too much sense. And I think that's likely going to be Jonathan India. So I think either way, I think CES will get his at-bats. And I'm really excited about what kind of numbers he can put up. Yeah, you know, you've started convincing me a little bit. Because when I made my notes for Christian Encarnacion Strand or CES, I you know wasn't entirely sure that there was a lot of room really to improve his stock because I was seeing him right around the top 100 and I was thinking that's pretty appropriate for him. But as you mentioned, you know, he actually has pretty consistent numbers throughout the minor leagues. Um, I do worry a little bit about where the walk rate and K rate end up long-term, but hitting in that park with his power, man, there's going to be some really, really big home run seasons in his future and if he can even get a little bit closer to the 10 percent walk rate and 22 percent k rate that he had in triple a last year versus six percent walk rate and 30 percent k rate uh in the bigs he's going to be an absolute monster now i i do still think he is uh going to be a a better asset in average leagues than obp because I agree with you. I don't think the walk rate in particular is one that we can expect to get, you know, a whole lot closer to that 10% than the 6%. But I, I think, I think you talked me into it a little bit. This guy should rise. I think top 100 is probably a little bit low. 
Yeah, and actually, you know, I like I said, I looked at the several different dynasty rankings. I mean, you mentioned going off the Rotowire rankings. He was by far ranked the highest um, there, where he was in the top 100. Every other dynasty ranking I looked at, um, he was lower than top 150. Well, and so, maybe that's, you know, part of why, like I said, I trust James yeah. Anderson so much <laughs> is I'm, you know, right there with him. I'm I'm using that as kind of my primary source in a lot of this. And top 100-ish sounded appropriate, but again, you've kind of convinced me. Maybe he's a top 75 or even better asset if he does get those full season numbers close, even close to what he did in the minors. Yeah, and I think, you know, it just goes to show like – the value of what you what you might perceive as the value is really hard in dynasty leagues because different you know sources and and um you know individuals have way different rankings on on some of these guys and there is no one consensus rank for dynasty leagues so there are buying opportunities and you know he was significantly below Pasquantino on kind of those those median ranks so um you know kind of looking at the two of them i think you know obviously Pasquantino has the higher floor but i i think i would go for the upside in ces what, what, what do you think? Looking at those two, I I think I lean Pasquantino because I think the the ratios he's going to give you will more than make up for the you know ten ish fewer home runs he's going to hit. I think the ratios are going to make a bigger difference for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Particularly in those OBP and points leagues. I mean, yeah, exactly. He's going to have a huge boost there. Um, who were some of your honorable mentions in this area? So the the big one for me in this one were was uh, Spencer Torkelson because I think people are really underestimating how impressive it is to hit 31 home runs there in Detroit in Comerica with your home park. You know, if he can get his average up from 233 to even 250, he's going to be a really dangerous power bat in this league for a long time. Yeah, I agree. I'm. I'm all on board uh, Torque as well. And um, one of my other ones was, was Josh Naylor. I think there's a little bit more yeah. than what he showed so far. And I think, you know, he's kind of being valued lower than some of these kind of hot, uh, you know, names that are, are younger and everything. But I, I think he's going to put up uh, a monster season um, one of these years. And I think it could be this year. So. So where, where did you see Naylor in the rankings? Cause I really like him too, but again, going primarily off of the Rotowire rankings, he was, a you know, if I remember correctly, top 60 to 75 asset there. Yeah. So he, he was highest on Rotowire of all the ranking systems. Uh, he actually is neck and neck kind of overall with Vinny P uh, kind of okay. just outside the top 100. So, um, you know, I, I think I would take him over Vinny P, you know, as much as I like Vinny P and I do really like him. Um, I just think, you know, Josh Naylor has shown it, right? He he doesn't have yeah. a lot. There's really no red flags with him, right? So it's just a matter of like, is what we've seen the ceiling or is there another step there? And I, I think there is another step there. Yeah, I really like that pick too. Okay, let's move on to second base. So who is your second baseman? So before I give you the name here, I just want to rattle off uh, a few numbers. If if I told you that there was a hitter out there, a second baseman even, who had a 100th percentile chase rate, that's right. He chases pitches out of the zone less than anybody else in the league. A 100th percentile chase rate, a 98th percentile walk percentage, a 91st percentile sweet spot percentage, 86th percentile barrel rate, and 70th percentile hard hit percentage. 
how high do you think that hitter should be drafted? I mean, at a weak second base position, I think that sounds easy top 10, if not, you know, top five-ish. Well, according to NFBC ADP, which, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, are redraft leagues, that is the 18th best second baseman and 209th player overall. And that is Edward Julian, who I think is drastically underrated at those values. Um, you know, he, like I just mentioned, he does nothing, but he, he, sorry, he does not chase out of the zone at all. When he puts the bat on the ball, he finds the sweet spot. He finds the barrel more than almost anybody else out there. Now the knock on him is that he did strike out a little bit too much, over 30% of the time, actually. And that is a bit of a trend that he's shown in the minors with K percentages routinely around, you know, 25%. But even if he can bring his K rate down to that 25% and continue walking at an elite rate and continue impacting the ball as much as he does, he's going to a ton of value going forward, especially at the second base position. Yeah. Uh, I I will start out by saying I really like Edouard Julian. I, I'm on board with this pick, but I'm going to throw some cold water on it. Uh, first off, I think it's funny you chose the Canadian. <laughs> I, had to, I had to. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that he, you know, I'll boost him up a little bit. You mentioned that he did have high strikeouts in, in the majors. That was never an issue in the minors. So I'm not... I'm not as worried about that. You mentioned just he's an OBP monster and has those elite walk rates. I think part of why the NFBC is so low is because NFBC is an average. They're average leagues. Yeah, yeah. So, That's you know, th that OBP is not going to boost his value. Um, but I think he's being, you know, slept on in in the dynasty rankings as well. I, I think, you know, he's better than a lot of players in front of him. Um, one thing I will say is that he did have a 263 average, but that was fueled by a pretty high Babbitt. His expected batting average was 233. Um, he had a 371 Babbitt, but if you look at his minor league numbers, he routinely posted Babbitts above that. So he could just kind of be one of those high Babbitt hitters, and he's always going to, you know, hopefully have a higher average than kind of what you would expect um, based on the stat cast numbers. I will say there's also some room for him, him to improve in stolen bases. He didn't have a lot yeah. uh, in the majors last year, but um, in 2022, he had 19. And in 2021, he had 30. So he's got average speed. Um, I don't think he's going to, you know, put up 20 stolen bases or anything, but I think you can kind of count on him for double digit steals at this point. And um, the other big knock against him is that he struggled big time against lefties in the big leagues last year. Uh, he did do better at AAA, but then also struggled against lefties in AA in 2022. So there are a few platoon concerns, and that coupled with you know him not being the best defender, I, I think is a reason some people are down on him. But I think in terms of you know just the elite plate discipline skills, I'm all on board this pick, particularly in a points league or OVP league. Like, yeah, give me Edward Julian. Yeah, it's like you said, elite plate discipline. And you mentioned the Babips. I, I agree with you. I think he is a guy that continue those for all the reasons I mentioned before when we look at, you know, 91st percentile sweet spot percentage, 86th percentile barrel rate, 70th percentile hard hit percentage. Most of what drives high Babips are either hitting the ball really hard, really often, or being a really fast runner. And this guy does nothing but square up the baseball. Yeah, 100% agree. 
Um, so my second base pick is Jordan Westberg. So he's 24 in the Oros organization. He was a 30th overall pick in 2020 in that weird draft. Uh, moved three levels uh, to up to double A in 2021 and then hit triple A last season. Uh, debuted this season. He's kind of known for just kind of being across the board tools. Uh, average or better on his scouting report. And he's shown that in his time in the minors where he just posted solid all around stats. You know, it was nothing, no elite tool here or there, but just kind of solid across the board, contacts, power, speed, you know, didn't strike out too much, um, you know, had a solid walk rate, like just kind of, you know, a- average or better across the board. And I think he showed that with his tools at the big league level, perhaps even showing a ceiling for more. So he posted really great exit velocities. Uh, he had a 90.2 at the big league level and a 91.5 at AAA. Um, you know, you look at his max EV was 71 percentile. He had an 88 percentile sprint speed. He showed good defensively too with a uh, 74 percentile outs above average. I mean, I really think that there's 2020 potential here uh, with a solid average and solid OBP. And I just mentioned when we were talking about Edward Julian, how weak the second base position is. And I think, you know, Jordan Westberg is a player that you're going to want to have at second base. And I think, you know, his kind of mediocre uh, big league debut has really kind of pushed his value down a bit. And I think now's a great buying opportunity. I will say there are some concerns, you know, anytime you're talking about an Orioles player that hasn't established themselves, just because there's so many prospects there, uh, particularly on the infield, it is crowded, but I think, you know, he's kind of set to be the everyday second baseman. And I think he could run away with that job. So my pick is Jordan Westberg. Yeah. So you mentioned it. My biggest question with Westberg is, you know, how much and where is he going to play? Because he has shown the ability to play second or third or short, but on the 40-man roster alone, they have names like Gunnar Henderson, Jorge Mateo, Joey Ortiz, and Ramon Urias, who can all play those positions. And then we get into the top prospects like Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, and Connor Norby. Now, if you want to move him to the outfield, where he did try out a handful of games in AAA in 2023, then we're talking names like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Colton Kowser, Anthony Santander, maybe Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan O'Hearn, and even Sam Hilliard, who they brought in this offseason. So while he does show average to slightly above average tools across the board, if he doesn't come out, you know, breaking to start the season, I worry that he's going to lose his job quickly and fall out of favor there. So if that happens, Westberg to me is a guy more than anybody else in that overcrowded Baltimore system who needs a trade before he can really become more fantasy relevant for me. Yeah. See, I I think he's already kind of established himself, not necessarily, you know, that, that there's no risk, but I think he's kind of separated himself from a lot of those names that you mentioned. Like, I'm not too worried about Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias and, and even like a uh, Connor Norby. Like, I, I think, I think he's shown to be a level above those guys at this point. And I'm, you know, I'm fairly confident that he's going to uh, really show out. And, you know, we talked about, you know, I mentioned the median rate rankings, you know, he's kind of right there a little bit below Edward Julian, but they're both kind of in that back of the uh, top 100, you know, uh, slightly outside the top 200 ranks for dynasty rankings. And I, I think both of them are really being slept on, but what were some of your other uh, honorable mentions for second base? Um, so the, the main name I was looking at here is one that I 
I'm not going to get into too much because I think at this point, everyone's tired of hearing me talk about Miguel Vargas. I, you know, I, I just think that he's going to get his opportunity. And maybe this is a guy I think we've discussed. You see him probably similarly to how I just discussed uh, Westberg as far as the, the opportunity goes there in LA, but I do think he's going to have a big year and I think he's really going to. Yeah. We've discussed Vargas before I've, I've soured him, uh, soured on him quite a bit from last year. And I, I would take Westberg above him, but I could see definite scenario where, where I'm wrong there. Um, my honorable mention for second base was Nolan Gorman. I think he, you know, obviously has some, some downside. He strikes out a ton, but you know, he's got huge, huge power. Uh, he showed, you know, what his upside looks like with some of those hot streaks last year. I think, you know, it's going to take some time for him to, you know, get, get those K's on, under check and and hopefully he can be a more consistent player. Maybe he's always going to be kind of this up and down player, but I think overall at the end of the year, um, you're going to be happy that you had Nolan Gorman on your team. And I think with uh, St. Louis, you know, some of those early uh, playing time concerns that he had last year are going to be, um, you know, not as prevalent anymore. So I, I do like Nolan Gorman quite a bit. Yeah, I like that pick as well. Like you said, there's just a wide, wide variance in what could happen with him going forwards. Definitely. Um, all right. Who is your third base pick? So my third base choice here is Brian Hayes out in Pittsburgh. And if you are anything like me, you've been waiting for Hayes to raise his launch angle and finally start getting to more of his raw power. And he did in 2023. He raised his launch angle from 5.2 degrees in 2022 to 13.2 in 2023. Unfortunately, it only resulted in 15 home runs, but that's still more than double his previous career high of seven. Now, he does an excellent job of making contact with the ball. He doesn't walk much, but he strikes out at a respectable pace, and he plays elite defense at third base. So as long as he's healthy, he's going to stay on the field, and given his 93rd percentile average exit velocity of 92.2 miles per hour, I think he's going to continue making strides in the power department, and I think he's going to give you 20-plus home runs in 2024 and boost his stock even further. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I looked at, you know, his uh, his numbers from this last year. You know, I hadn't been paying too much attention to the second half that he had. And, I mean, it, it just kind of blew me away. You know, like you mentioned, the increase in launch angle, the increase in power. But kind of looking deeper, it was really a kind of a story of two different halves. He was kind of his normal self in, in the beginning of the season, um, missed some time due to back injury, and then really where the power took off was in the second half of the season. And I think that's primarily where we saw the the launch angle increase and everything like that. Um, you know, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Christmas vacation. And there's a, uh, a character in that movie. Who's a young girl who everyone's surprised that she's no longer cross-eyed. And it was, she was kicked by mm. a mule. Her eyes went cross. And then she was kicked by a mule again and her eyes uncrossed. And I feel like that's kind of the story with Cabrian Hayes, right? He had a back injury in 2022 you know, everything, all the numbers went down the tube in terms of his ability to launch the ball and everything. And then he had a back injury in 2023 and all of a sudden his launch angle is fixed. So I, I've always, you know, like you have thought there's more there with Cabrian Hayes. Obviously he's always put up elite hard hit and average exit velocity numbers. The issue has always been the launch angle. I will say I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to buy in just because I think a cautionary tale here is Yandy Diaz. So 
Deontay Diaz is a similar type of player where always posted really, um, really high exit velocities and really good stat cast numbers, but just has never really been able to get the ball or lift the ball, get it up in the air. And, you know, we saw this last year, all of a sudden it looked like he was a changed man. He's his launch angle uh, was at 10.9 degrees in May and he had 13 home runs in the first two months. And it was like, wow, he finally figured it out. He's got his launch angle up. He's hitting home runs. And then he hit 10 home runs the rest of the way and his launch angle finished around five. So I, I, I think Cabrian Hayes, you know, I hope not. I, I really hope he's the real deal. Um, I still think he's, he's a great pick. And I, I think that he um, is definitely, you know, has more potential than, than what his current value is. But I do worry a little bit that we're just kind of seeing a hot two months and that, you know, next year he's going to go back to the Cabrian pace we've, we've always seen. Yeah. So first of all, love the movie reference, love that movie. It's one of the ones that me and my family watch every year around this time. So I love that. I know exactly what you're getting at. That was great. Um, but as far as, yeah, the adjustments go, there is that risk that it won't stick, but I'm betting on him keeping that uh, that improvement because there were a lot of conversations during the season about the fact that this was something he was specifically working towards. When it came to Yandy Diaz, you didn't hear a lot of that. It was just something that kind of happened. With Brian Hayes, this was something he was actively trying to improve upon. So I think this is something where in his case, it can be a little bit more sticky than what it was for Yandy. Yeah, and you wonder if, if you know, that second back injury, if he found some sort of new treatment or something that allowed him to to lift the ball more, you know, maybe that was part of the issue is that he had, you know, unreported nagging back pain and, you know, couldn't couldn't really do it. So, you know, we'll see. I I'm I'm hopeful. I'm excited. I think I'm gonna, you know, be drafting a lot of shares of him in, in redraft leagues, but I, I don't think I'm ready to go after him in a dynasty context yet, unless, you know, the price is right. Um but yeah, I, I think that's a solid pick there. Um, my pick for third base is, is Brett Batty. Um, you know, we talked about him on our last episode, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. Um, he's a former 12th overall pick in 2019. And the, you know, TLDR here is that he's got big time power, uh, a solid hit tool, but really struggled in the bigs and has just torn up the minor leagues. So I think, you know, he's, he's been given a little bit of run it, with the Mets, um, but you know, this is really his chance this year to take that third base job. It's his third season. Like we talked about last episode, it's kind of make or break for him. And the stage is set for him to get every opportunity with Ronnie Mauricio going down in winter ball. Um, you know, I, I think he'll have the inside track to that third base job. I think, you know, I, I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because New York is a very tough place to play uh, for anybody that doesn't, you know, take off running. Uh, that media is brutal. And, you know, I'm hoping that this is the year that he puts it together. Um, I, I don't think he's a, a quad A bat. I think he's shown a lot of promise with his number in the minors, uh, particularly his power numbers, even though they haven't translated to the big leagues yet. Uh, I will say one downside on him is he does, you know, uh, put the ball on the ground a little bit too much. But I still think you're talking about a good average, um, you know, 30 plus home runs here and i think this is the year that we see him put it together and the value is pretty low right now so i think uh i think he's a he's a great opportunity 
Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on Beatty. You know, it's it's a guy with huge power who has put up really solid batting averages around 270 throughout his minor league career. So, you know, the 210, I think it was that he hit in 2023. I, I think we see him really bring that up. And I think the 89 and a half mile per hour average exit velo that he had last season is way lower than we can expect from him going forward. That's good for just 55th percentile in the MLB. And he has far, far better power than just slightly above average. You know, he's a guy that could put up maybe a 90th percentile average EV, if not better. So I, I think 2023 is going to be a big year for him. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it on our last episode, and I don't have necessarily oh i guess i do have i have the number in front of me but uh his his ev in the minors was uh a lot higher than it was in the big leagues yeah he had a, a 96.1 average ev at triple a last year so just like yeah, so elite, that, that's a full seven miles in velocity hour. yeah exactly yeah. so i i think you, you kind of got to just look at the the nlb numbers and almost throw them out and just say like this is a guy who's still figuring it out in a tough market and you know think about all the expectations on the mets last year and all the disappointment and you know, him not performing and, and everything like, you know, the pressure had to be there. And I think this year, the expectations aren't going to be as high. He's going to have more of a, a lock on that playing time. And I, I think he's going to be more comfortable. And I think you're really going to see uh, the real Brett Beatty this year. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So my honorable mention at the position here is Ryan McMahon out in Colorado, who I think gets pushed down quite a bit, maybe unfairly because he plays for Colorado but remember, that means he's playing in Coors. So, you know, while people often want to maybe discount those players a little bit, I do think he's a guy that, you know, consistently puts up not great, but really solid fantasy seasons. And I, maybe I'm, you know, off base here because he hasn't risen, but I think he's a guy that should be higher than where he is right now. Yeah, I... You know, he he's getting up there in age. He just like he posts solid numbers. I think this last year, again, solid year, but it's always seemed like he's got more there with the the stat cast numbers and everything. And I, I do think we're gonna see a breakout year coming. I don't know if it's necessarily this year, but I do like that pick. And I think he's valued so much lower than a lot of third basemen that um, you know, there's an opportunity there. And I will say third base was one of the more difficult positions uh to to select for this for me i i think there's a lot of kind of higher end um you know breakout picks but i, I think they're they're kind of being boosted in value as well um one honorable mention i had who had one of the widest variances across these different uh dynasty rankings was noel v Marte. uh i saw him ranked as high as 61 on a list and as low as 187 so just a huge variance in how he's valued but i think you know he's a big part of the reds future i think he you know performed well in his debut and I don't see a lot of concerns with him. And I think he's going to uh, break out in a big way this year. You know, we talked a little bit about the playing time concerns in, in Cincinnati and it's possible he's one of those pieces that gets moved. But um, I think if he can get on the field and get that playing time, he's going to post uh, really, really good numbers. Yeah. I really, really like that pick for whatever reason. He's not one that was on my radar, but I, really like that pick i'm right there with you i think he's gonna put up a big season as long as he gets the opportunity all right let's move over to shortstop so who is your shortstop 
my shortstop is a guy that we have disagreed on a little bit in the past, and I think we're probably going to again today, but that's Zach Neto on the Angels. You know, again, we've talked about it. This is a kid who made his big league debut last year at age 22, less than a year after being drafted. He has over 100 more plate appearances in the majors than he has at any level in the minors. And although none of those numbers in the bigs jump off the page at you, I think he did a pretty good job of holding his own in his rookie season, especially when you consider that he was dealing with back and oblique injuries for much of the second half. Now, you know, I don't want anybody taking this to mean I think he's going to be a 2020 contender because I, I don't. I don't believe he has that kind of power-speed combination in him. But... I do think his slash line of 225, 308, 377 is going to improve across the board. And I don't see why he can't be a, you know, high teens home run guy and chip in double digit steals for you. And if he hits 250 with those counting stats, that's a lot more valuable than where he's being ranked. Yeah, I I really struggle to value Zach Neto because like, who is he like <laughs> we we really haven't seen a big enough sample for me to really say who this guy is i mean like you mentioned he already has more major league plate appearances than he does minor league plate appearances and you know he missed most of the season or a good chunk of the season anyway with with injury uh particularly a back injury which had him out from july to september and you know he had this insanely hot june and then was kind of you know, mediocre to poor the rest of the way. So what is his upside? You know, it's really hard to say who this guy is. I think there's definitely a floor here. And I think we've seen that he can perform and at least be, you know, a solid, you know, in fancy context, a solid middle infielder. Um, you know, I, I think there's possibly 20 home run, you know, potential there. So maybe a little bit higher than than even you're giving him credit for. But I, I think I see the ceiling as like a 2010 guy with a solid average and a low OBP. Um, you know, more of a floor play, but like you said, his values pretty low and we haven't seen enough of him to really say like distinctively, like, oh yeah, this is his ceiling. Like, you know, he, he could have another level there that we just haven't seen indication of at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, he, it, it seemed like every time he came back from an injury this past year, he looked like a different hitter. He came out really hot at times, and then other times he really struggled to make hard contact with the ball. But again, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that he did have back and oblique injuries in the second half of the year. And those are two injuries that on their own can really sap not only the power, but just bat-to-ball skills in general for a hitter, let alone when you put both of them together within the span of a month or two. I think he is a guy that... While you may not want him as your starting shortstop, I think he's a really good value pick for an MI slot or even a utility if you can get him that late. Yeah, and you could definitely get him late. You know, we we talked about how you're in line with uh, James Anderson. He was once again the highest on Zach now yeah. uh, by a large margin. So the next highest rank was uh, over 100 spots lower. And in a lot of the rankings, he was outside the, uh, the top 250. So definitely... Nobody's really loving uh, Zach Neto in terms of the value. So I think in a dynasty context, like, you know, and even I am, you know, you mentioned it at the, at the top, I'm not the biggest Zach Neto fan, but at that value, like I, I'd be willing to uh, make some speculative, you know, trade offers for him or, or, or draft him late in, 
you know, a redraft or dynasty startup, because I think there's definitely um, a high floor there. And I, I think there's a possibility for more ceiling than we've seen, like I said. So, um, so my shortstop is another guy we talked about last week, and that is Ezekiel Tovar. So Ezekiel Tovar is just 22, uh, plays on the Rockies and, you know, Hosted a really solid fantasy season last year at age 21, where he had a 253 average, 15 home runs, 11 stolen bases. Uh, did have a really low OBP. Uh, but the thing with him is that he's always been more of a glove first prospect. And all the scouting reports agreed it's going to take time for the bat to catch up to the glove. And that a lot of them actually you know, predicted that because he's so young and was moved so quickly, you know, there could be more power there as he matures again, just 22 years old uh, heading into this season. And, you know, the Rockies are known, you know, I, I know we've talked about it before, but on the fancy baseball discord, particularly uh, user teleport, he talks about, you know, Rockies going to Rocky. Don't trust the Rockies prospects. Never Rockies. You know, <laughs> never Rockies. It's always been a meme, right. For, for a lot of people. Um, they they tend to screw around with their prospects, not really give them an opportunity. Ezekiel Tovar was the everyday shortstop. You know, they did not mess around with him. He was in there every day. He looks like he's going to be there in there every day going forward. I think that tells you a lot about, you know, their belief in, in him and his ability to, you know, have a set job. And with how young he is, I, I think we're going to see him continue to improve his, uh, his offense. You know, I think the walk rate was extremely low. I think that's going to go up. Um, I, I think he's going to, you know, strike out less as he matures. He's going to get a little bit more power. I, I never think he's going to be a big OVP asset. He's going to be an average over OVP bat, but I do think he can st- take a big step forward. Um, would not be surprised even this year to see 20 plus home runs, 15 plus stolen bases with a good average. And that'll play. And I, I think there's, you know, there's more ceiling there uh, in both stolen base and, and, uh, and home runs as well. So I'm excited about Tovar. He's ranked pretty low um, compared to a lot of other shortstops. Uh, in most places he's ranked kind of, I think his median rank was around 200 overall. So um, I, I think the value is there as well. Absolutely. I like you mentioned, we talked about him last episode. So apologies to those who have heard this before. But he slashed 253, 287, 408 to 2023 with 15 home runs and 11 stolen bases. When we talked about him last week, we both agreed that is definitely not where his ceiling sits. I expect to see a 2020 season out of Tovar in 2024, and I expect those ratios to go up a little bit. I expect that stock to rise. So who was your honorable mention at shortstop? My honorable mention here is honestly a guy that I've never been a huge fan of, and that's Trevor Story, especially after he left Colorado. I just, I couldn't buy in on him. But at this point, his value has been suppressed so much in part due to injuries that I think he's a guy whose stock can only go in one direction at this point. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I I think shortstop, again, was a, a tough position for me because there's just so many high-end young shortstops that are being valued really highly. Like, I, I think there's a lot of breakouts potentially at the top end with guys like, you know, C.J. Abrams and O'Neill Cruz and Anthony Volpe and Lawler. But, um, you know, not to mention, you know, the incoming prospects like Jackson Holiday. So there's just so many high-end shortstops that some of those kind of lower-end ones are really being slept on and, and they're dropping really down in value. And I think Story is one of those. I mean, 
we haven't seen a healthy season from him really since he left Colorado. And I think if he can get the health together, he's going to be a really solid shortstop that you can get really, really cheap. So I do like that one. Um, mine is, is really, really scrape at the bottom of the barrel. And I know this is going to sound like a Homer pick, but, uh, I'm going with Marco Luciano. It, his value right now is so, so, so low. I mean, his, his medium value was 430th on, on these ranking lists. The highest one was outside the top 300. This is a former top, uh, 10 prospect. And yeah, his stock has really fallen as he's had injuries. He struck out too much. But the power is still there. He's still shown the power last year. Um, you know, he's got the the exit velocities and everything. And it sounds like he's going to have the inside track to that uh, starting shortstop role with the Giants. And, you know, it's not it's not hard to see a scenario where he outperforms his value when the value is that low. I don't think he's going to be, you know, an elite shortstop or anything, but I think he can get into enough power that He's going to be a really good, uh, potentially really good middle infielder or, you know, solid uh, starting shortstop. So I I think now's the time to buy Marco Luciano. Yeah, you know, you mentioned it. It's it's a bit of a homer pick, but I don't disagree with you at all. For mainly the reason you mentioned kind of towards the end there, they've all but said he's their starting shortstop. So unless he has just a disastrous inning, he has the job. And at the value... I, again, similar to Trevor's story, I don't see how his stock can go anywhere but up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy you agree there. <laughs> I know it's kind of a homer pick. All right, let's move over to uh, outfield. So who is your outfielder? So my outfielder is Tyler O'Neill. And you've mentioned a couple of times that I've been kind of right in line with James Anderson's rankings a few times. This is one that I actually did not agree with. In his list. He's got Tyler O'Neill ranked 325th overall. Now, we talked about O'Neal briefly in a recent episode and mentioned how we think the trade to Boston could be really good for him because it's no secret that he fell out of favor there with the Cardinals and with so much depth in their outfield, that meant a big cut in his playing time. But let's not forget that this is a guy who hit 34 home runs and stole 15 bases just a couple years ago in 2021. That season, he ranked 85th percentile or better in expect or sorry in yeah expected WOBA, expected batting average, and expected slugging percentage, as well as 93rd percentile or better in average EV, barrel percentage, sweet spot percentage, and hard hit percentage, along with a 98th percentile sprint speed. So this is a supremely talented athlete. And now in Boston as a right-handed hitter staring down the green monster and with a seemingly substantial uptick in his playing time on the way, I expect Tyler O'Neill to get back to 30-plus home runs. And if he can stay healthy with the new rules, I wouldn't be surprised to see 20-plus stolen bases. And yes, I'm picking another Canadian kid here, but I think this is actually a really, really good value. And I could not disagree more. I, Let's hear it. I, I just don't see it. Um, you know, a big part of it, you know, you mentioned the the underlying skills and the stat cast numbers. You mentioned the huge season that he had. Um, there, There is ceiling there for sure. But I really, really doubt he gets to that season or ceiling because he just has never been able to stay healthy. He's had six seasons in the majors. Let me kind of go through his injury history for those six seasons. 
In 2018, he had a groin injury, two hamstring injuries, and oblique. 2019, he had a wrist injury, a hamstring injury, and an elbow. 2020 was only a 60-game season, so he didn't miss much time, but managed to still have a finger injury. 2021 had a back injury, two finger injuries, a foot injury, and a groin injury. 2022 had two hamstring injuries, a leg injury, and a shoulder injury. And 2023 had a foot injury, a knee injury, and a back injury. That is a lot of energy or injuries for, especially lower body injuries for a a power hitter and a guy that has a lot of speed. Those are going to catch up to him. He's entering his late 20s. He's never shown the ability to stay healthy. I mean, the guy is jacked, but maybe he needs to spend a little bit less time in the weight room, a little bit more time on on yoga or something, because he continues to have those, uh, those soft tissue injuries. And I think that, you know, I just have no faith in his ability to stay healthy. And and obviously neither do the Cardinals. I mean, they basically traded him away for peanuts and you got to kind of wonder, you know, what do they know that this, this to me seems a lot like the scenario last year where uh, Boston traded for Adalberto Mondesi. And there was some excitement about him. Like, Oh, if he could only stay healthy and then he didn't. And, you know, he never saw the field. And I think, you know, I, I hope Tyler O'Neill can, can perform to, to his ability. You know, I always wish that, these big leaguers can hit their ceilings, but I, I just have no faith in his ability to do it. In six big league seasons, he's only surpassed 400 plate appearances one time uh, due to all those injuries. And we've seen his, you know, again, he's jacked. He has a lot of uh, power, but we've seen the the exit velocities kind of trend in the wrong direction over the last couple of years. And, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, what if we'll ever see a season like 2021 again. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned you bring up some some really good points there, and I can absolutely see a route where you know the value doesn't move at all. But this is kind of one of those ones where I'm EP, you know, more than anything else, going on just pure vibes here. I just I've got a good gut feeling that it's going to be a good year. You mentioned how these injuries can tack on and you know hinder these guys with this supreme speed, and it has brought his sprint speed down a little bit. But in 2023, his top sprint speed was still 28.5 miles per hour, which was, uh, sorry, not miles per hour. What do they measure that in? Is that feet per second? Yeah, I think it's feet per second. Yeah, feet per second, miles per hour. That'd be. <laughs> He's not yeah. that fast. <laughs> no. Um, but that's still 80th percentile sprint speed. So while he maybe has lost a step, he's still a very fast player, still a very explosive player. And like I said, if maybe for no other reason than the fact that I've just got a good feeling about it, I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I think if if he if he could even get back to, you know, eighty percent of what he was in, in 2021, the value is is definitely there. And I think you know, to his credit, he's really cut back on the the strikeouts, improved the walk rate. You know, one of the big issues with that that huge season he had is he had a strikeout rate over 30% and he's really lowered that. So there are the ingredients there. And if you squint, you know, you can see it happen, but I just, I, I, I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to, I think it's a, it's a low probability outcome for me. Um, my outfielder is Colton Kowser. So this is going to be a similar conversation to the one that we had with Jordan Westberg. Um, he's 23 years old in the Orioles organization was a fifth overall pick in 2021 has hit at every level of the minors while posting elite walk rates. So most stops, he's had a 16% walk rate or higher, which is just insane. Um, He's a huge OBP asset, obviously, with average or better power and speed. Uh, Showed that in AAA this last year with 17 home runs and nine stolen bases and a 417 OBP and 399 plate appearances. 
had a small stint uh, in the big leagues, 77 plate appearances and really struggled. And I mean, really, really struggled like uh, 443 OPS. You know, I think his average was in the ones uh, I believe his slugging was as well, like just just bad. Um, but he did show nice EVs uh, at AAA. He had a 90.8 uh, average exit velocity, 110.3 max exit velo. Um, and at points during the season, he was a major fantasy prospect. He was top 10 on a lot of lists at various points um, throughout this last season. And I think now that value has just plummeted based on how bad his stint in the big leagues was, even though, again, 77 plate appearances, it was really small. Uh, I'm basically throwing that out. I think he's going to improve. You know, like we talked about with Westberg, is the playing time going to be there? And I think, you know, he's going to have a tougher path to playing time than Westberg because you currently have an outfield of Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, and um, Cedric Mullins. So there's got to be a trade or an injury there for him to really be able to to crack that lineup. But I, I could definitely see Baltimore moving, you know, one of those veteran outfielders um, and I think Kowser, you know, given the opportunity, he's going to perform now, similar to what we talked about with Edward Julian, there are some platoon concerns, um, but he showed, you know, last year at AAA, he had a solid, um, solid showing against left-handed pitching 769 OPS. Like he's never going to be great against left-handers, but I think he can avoid that platoon, uh, given the time to settle in at the big league level. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you on Kowser. This is a guy who, you know, it's been a while, but we've talked about him as well. And it's, it's all the same stuff. Like you said, you know, it was a terrible, terrible big league debut outside of the 16.9% walk percentage that he put up. Nothing he did looked anything close to the hitter he's been in the minor leagues. And just like you, I'm basically throwing out what he did in the bigs in 2023. And I expect a far better season and I do expect him to get an opportunity and make the most of it. Uh, so talking about honorable mentions, I know there was a lot to choose from uh, in outfield, but who was yours? So you had your kind of homer pick with the honorable mention in uh, at shortstop. I'm going to take mine here at in the outfield, and I'm going to go with Dalton Varsho, who I think is going to have a bounce back year. And while that's not going to mean he recovers to the value he had when he was catcher eligible. I do think his stock is going to rise back up a little bit this season. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think, you know, we all expected more from him um, than what he showed last year, but, you know, going to a new team and everything, I, I think there's always going to be, you know, adjustment periods. And, you know, I, I think he is a great bounce back candidate and one that's really being, I think, slept on uh, value wise. So I like that pick. A um, couple of mine, you know, kind of various ends of, of the spectrum uh, were Kerry Carpenter. I just think, you know, was never a great prospect, but you can't deny the numbers that he's put up. Um, looks like a really solid outfielder going forward. And then uh, Christopher Morell. I, I know he's a very divisive player in in fantasy circles. Um, some people value him really highly because of the the tools and the upside. Some people value him pretty lowly depending on, you know, because the, the plate approach hasn't been great. You know, Cubs don't seem committed to getting him playing time, but I think, you know, it sounds like they're going to move him over to first base where, you know, hopefully he'll find his defensive home. Uh, and I think that he's going to post, you know, if he can settle in uh, and with an everyday job, I, I think he's going to have a career year. And even though he's, you know, valued higher probably than than the outfitters we mentioned. I think he's someone that could skyrocket up rankings because the upside is tremendous with Morel. Yeah, I think those are really good picks. Morel in particular, I think I I just want to see more 
consistency out of him. But it, there's there's no arguing that the the upside, the talent is there. All right. Well, let's switch over to the other side of the ball, and that is uh, starting pitcher. So who is your starting pitcher? My starting pitcher is Nick Lodolo, and this is a guy whose season ended on May 6th this past year with what was originally diagnosed as left calf tendinosis and was later discovered to actually be a stress fracture in his left tibia. Now, in the 34.1 innings he did pitch, he had a brutal 6.29 ERA. His fastball velo was down a full mile per hour on average from 2022, and he was getting hit really hard. But even with all that going on, he still had high-end K and walk rates, including a 22.3 K minus BB percentage, while getting hitters to chase pitches out of the zone 32% of the time to go along with a 30% whiff rate. All of those are very, very strong numbers. And then you pair that up with a near 50% ground ball rate which is awesome for any pitcher, but is especially important when we're talking about a guy that pitches in Cincinnati in great American ballpark. And then you add in the fact that the lower leg injury could have been, you know, at least part of what was sapping some of his velo. And I think we're going to see a much stronger Nick Lodolo in 2024. And I think he's going to rock it back up. the I absolutely love this pick. I 100% agree. I am all aboard Nick Lodolo. I think if you're going to pick one stat to look at, to evaluate, you know, pitcher's potential. I think uh, K minus K- walk rate is a good one. And when you have elite K rate and elite walk rate and the stuff to back it up and the good ground ball, I mean, this is an ace. Like, it, it, every sense of the word, I, I think he's going to be an ace. I think he's going to be just fine in that ballpark. He just has to stay healthy. You know, maybe he needs to drink some more milk or something because not only did he have the uh, the stress uh, reaction in his leg, he, you know, had a setback in August where he was on his rehab assignment and he had a second one. So there, there is a little bit of concern there, but it's not like it's an arm injury. I think, you know, he'll figure it out. He'll get healthy. And I think he's just going to put up monster numbers. And I think now is definitely the time to buy Nick Lodolo. Really like that pick. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I'm right there with you. You mentioned the word ACE. Why can't he be better than Hunter green? Yeah. He has the control Hunter green doesn't, and he's got all the stuff minus the velo, but all the stuff Hunter green has. Yeah, I, I I have always liked Lodolo better, and that has not changed. I, I really think. And we, we you know, wax poetic about Green on our last episode. We both really like him a lot and think he's a future ace. I think Lodolo has, like you mentioned, even more upside with, with that elite control. Um, I'm going to go with uh, kind of the opposite pick. <laughs> For someone who excels in both areas to someone that can't figure out which area to excel in, and that is another homer pick in Kyle Harrison. So Kyle Harrison... Uh, on the San Francisco Giants, he was a third round overslot pick in the 2020 draft, uh, put up just absolutely elite K rates throughout the minors. So over 35% uh, K rates at every stop. I mean, if you looked at, you know, his career, um, you know, K rates and then compared that to, you know, the MLB level, I mean, he would be in Spencer Strider territory. He has always struck out a ton of hitters. The downside has always been the walks for him. And that was, um, you know, very, very apparent this last year at AAA, where he had a career worst 16, 16.3% walk rate, which is just god awful. I mean, that's like um, just one of the worst. Uh, but there were reports coming out that he really, really struggled with the automated strike zone for his particular pitch mix and how he likes to pitch to hitters. Um, the strike zone was like the worst possible 
um, thing for him and it really affected him. He was also working on a lot of mechanical, you know, adjustments throughout the year. And I think that played a large part to why that walk rate was so big. Um, you know, he started to kind of figure things out towards the end of his stint in AAA. His last two starts, he had zero walks. And then when he came up to the, the major leagues, he just looked like statistically like a very different pitcher. Um, had a career best 7.5% walk rate in seven games started, but a career worst 23.8% K rate, which is below average. So like what? You had this guy who all he could do was strike people out, struggled with the walks, and then he gets to the majors and he's got the walks under control, but he's not striking anyone out. It was just really bizarre, but I I think I'm confident that he's going to be able to, you know, I, I think there's some regression coming with that walk rate, but it's not like he was facing easy lineups. I mean, he faced the Dodgers in two of those seven starts. So I, I think that he is going to have um, a higher walk rate, but I think it's going to be manageable. And I think you're going to see that K rate get back to very good, if not elite levels. And I think I'm really excited about, you know, the steps he can take forward, particularly pitching in Oracle Park. I mean, there's no better ballpark for starting pitchers than Oracle Park. And, you know, it's if he makes mistakes, it's going to be very forgiving on him. So I'm really excited about Kyle Harrison. I think his value is really, really low right now because people look at the walk rate in the minors and just think like, you know, what he showed in the majors was a fluke or they're looking at the low K rate in the majors thinking his stuff's not going to translate. It's going to translate. We saw that. When, you know, I think it is second game, he had 11 strikeouts in six innings versus the Reds. So uh, I think there's a lot of upside there. I think the value is really low. So I'm, I'm buying in on Kyle Harrison. So for all your excitement as a Giants fan, this is another one that I will once again, you know, we've talked about him before. I will gladly dispute your excitement here because I don't see him being able to put everything together. You mentioned the fact that statistically he looked like a different pitcher when he got to the bigs. Uh, his stuff looked like a different pitcher when he got to the bigs. He took his foot off the gas to improve his control. He was a mid to upper 90s fastball in the minors and was averaging 93.6 in the bigs. His stuff wasn't nearly as nasty. He wasn't getting anywhere near as many swings and swinging strikes. And like you said, his K rate plummeted. Unless he can somehow find a way to put it all together. And personally, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. He's either going to continue being a mid-fours ERA starter, or he's going to move to the bullpen where he can let loose with his stuff and get away with walking so many batters a little bit more easily. Yeah, I, I have more faith that he's going to be able to put it together. I, I know the um, the fastball velo, you know, did decrease a little bit, but this is also the end of the season, right? You know, um, he was probably hitting close to a career high in, in innings pitched and and there could have been some fatigue factor there. And again, he didn't have, you know, some of the easiest matchups again, facing the Dodgers twice. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that he, you know, obviously there's a lot of mystery there and, and how he's going to perform in 2024, but I have faith that he's going to uh, be able to show, you know, the strikeout rate and, um, you know, keep the walkout rate at least, you know, manageable. All right, so who are your honorable mentions for starting pitcher? So my honorable mention here is a guy who I think, you know, the old adage out of sight, out of mind really applies here because I'm looking at Walker Bueller, who is going to be returning from Tommy John surgery and hopefully returning at least close to his 2021 form when he had an ERA under two and a half and a width under one. Now those are, you know, probably unrealistic numbers to expect him to get all the way back to, 
but I think his value right now is really suppressed purely because we haven't seen him throw in the big leagues for a little while. And there always is a little bit of a question mark when someone's coming back from Tommy John, but I really like Walker Bueller and I think he's going to come back with authority and really bring his stock back. up. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I mean, like you mentioned, there's always some uncertainty about Tommy John, um, but you know, he's in the right organization. He's got the right lineup behind him. Uh, I, I think the pressure is going to be off of him with with everything that the Dodgers are going to do this offseason to build up that rotation. So, you know, I, I definitely he's not one that I consider, but I, I think that's a great pick. Um, a couple of my honorable mentions are um, Taj Bradley. Uh, I just think he'll he'll get some level of consistency. I have faith in um you know, Tampa's ability to develop pitching. And I, I think he, he's obviously shown the upside. He just needs to work on um, consistency and, and lowering those walks. Uh, Hunter Brown, I think, you know, we've talked about him in the past. I think he's a great buy low after, you know, poor um, statistical numbers, but like great underlying numbers. And then uh, Brian Wu, I was really impressed with, you know, what he did in his big league debut. And I, I think he's going to take another step forward this year. Yeah, so I, I did look at both Taj Bradley and Hunter Brown for this, and I really like those picks. Like you said, both are guys that have been relatively highly thought of prospects and showed at least flashes of their high, high upside. Wu isn't a guy that I had considered, but I do really like that pick because he's a guy who, you know, we've I think we talked about him in in an episode a little while back. I've always liked him more than his teammate Bryce Miller, who got way more hype than Wu did, and I think is probably still rate, ranked higher than Wu is. And I I really like that pick. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of really intriguing, uh, you know, breakout candidates for starting pitchers. So I feel like in redraft leagues, that's one area that you know I'm willing to kind of wait on and take a bunch of shots later on because there are some some really fun names there. Uh, now we get to the not so fun part of the podcast, and that's <laughs> talking about relief pitcher. So we debated whether or not to even go into relief pitcher. Um, we're going to have a, a future podcast where we're going to do kind of all breakout prospect team. We're not going to do relievers for that one, but we each were able to come up with one selection for a breakout relief pitcher. So, uh, Kyle, who is your selection? So. My uh, selection is a guy we got a brief taste of in the regular season. It's a reliever who some of us in the fantasy baseball discord were calling onion ring. And if the entree is as exciting as the appetizer was, the Phillies might have a lockdown back of the bullpen arm on their table in Orion Kirkering. I know he only threw three innings in the regular season this year, but I decided to take a look at his savant page anyways, just for fun. And I legitimately laughed out loud because it's hilarious. <laughs> it would have been comically red, including like three or four metrics that looked like they would have been 100th percentile. It was just absurd. Now, obviously, we can't extrapolate three innings across an entire season. But when you look at his sinker slider combo that both move like wiffle balls and average 98 and 86 miles per hour, respectively, First of all, that's just an incredible combination of pitches, but they elicited swinging strikes at a 40% clip during his brief stint in the regular season. And we continue to see him have that success in the postseason. But even if we assume that, you know, that swinging strike rate drops to, say, 35%, that still would have equated to around a 95th percentile with percentage 
and put him right alongside names like Alexis Diaz and Johan Duran, who are some of the best young closers in the game right now. Now, he did have some control issues, but that's not out of the norm for even elite closers, nor for young arms, and especially not irregular for young bullpen arms like Kerkering. I, for one, am extremely excited to see more of Orion Kerkering and can't wait to see what 2024 has. Yeah, if you hadn't picked him, I would have. You know, he's like you mentioned, his stats, his stat cast page is just comical with all the red. The only issue, like you mentioned, was that high walk rate, but that was never an issue with him in the minors. You know, no. a lot of these relief prospects, you do see those high walk rates in the minors, and he has posted solid walk rates throughout. So I think that's just sam- small sample noise. I think the departure of Kimbrel, you know, helps his path to eventually becoming the closer. I think he's going to get high high uh, leverage innings this year, and I huge fan. I think he's an elite, elite uh, relief pitcher prospect. Um, Mine is somebody who, you know, I'm not, he he has a little bit more warts than uh, Kirkering, but he did spend more time in the big leagues and that's Abner Ribe. So he's 23 years old in the Brewers organization. He was a $85,000 international signing, has an elite fastball. So I've seen 70 to 80 grade on it. Um, You know, we saw that in the majors. He had a, uh, 99 percentile uh fastball velo averaging 99.5 um he pairs that with an elite slider so this gets you know 60 to 70 grades um different scouting reports and you know in his uh appearance towards the end of the year in the big leagues he posted elite whiff ground ball and k rates and a 1.76 era uh the issue was that he walked too many batters. He had a 15.7% walk rate, which is extremely high. Um, you know, we, we talked about a similar one when we talked about Kyle Harrison earlier. He has always had high walk rates in the minors. Um, but I'm willing to, you know, take the high walk rate if he's got the elite strikeout stuff uh, when you're talking about a relief pitcher. And I think we've seen guys like Chapman and Hayter and Bautista, you know, have terrible walk rates, but still be highly effective. So, um, and, you know, speaking of hater, the Brewers have a really good track record with relief pitching. Uh, so I, I think he's, you know, going to lower that walk rate some, I think the rest of his skills are, are what you want to see in a, a back end relief arm. I, I don't think he's going to be the closer anytime soon with, uh, Devin Williams being signed through 2026, but, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to see them eventually move him if, if Abner Ribe comes into his own um, as he's now, you know, in, in his arb years and, and making more money. And, you know, brewers aren't known for their their big pockets. So uh, perhaps we see, you know, Abner Ribe eventually get to the, um, the closer position. But I think this year I'm expecting a breakout in terms of, you know, him getting high leverage innings, being a really strong uh, saves hold piece and putting up really, really great strikeout numbers. Yeah, you mentioned it. This is another young guy with really big stuff. You mentioned the fastball velo averaging 99.4. That's actually his sinker. His four-seamer, which albeit he didn't throw nearly as much as the sinker, but his four-seamer averaged 100.7 miles per hour. So when you talk about a guy throwing (laughs) over 100 miles per hour with a 90-mile-per-hour fighter, like that is electric, electric stuff. What really surprised me about Abner Uribe is that he didn't get many batters to chase his premium stuff out of the zone. You know, it's a uh, a surprisingly low rate when you consider that that stuff. He had a 24.2% chase rate, which 
again, he's he's another guy that didn't pitch enough to qualify. But looking at Savant right now, that looks like it would have been 15th percentile in the league, which with his stuff, I just don't understand. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, why the walk rate was as bad as it is. If he can get more guys to chase his stuff out of the zone, and I think he will, I think he's going to, like you say, have a really, really good season. And on top of all that, he gets hitters to put the ball on the ground more than 50% of the time. That is elite. So when you combine the big stuff, the big strikeouts, and the big uh, ground ball rates, there's no reason not to like him, even with those walk rates. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can stomach the walk rates when everything else is awesome. So exactly, yeah, particularly for a reliever. Um, well, that's all we have for today. Um, just one quick programming note: with you know Christmas coming up and New Year's and everything, um, it is somewhat unlikely that we get another podcast out this year. We'll try, but that may not happen. Um, but we will definitely uh, see you back here next year. We have some fun stuff in store. We'll get some, you know, international signings in January. Uh, we'll, you know, talk about FYPD, uh, our, our picks for that and everything. So um, definitely lots to look forward to in the new year. Uh, if I don't talk to you, Kyle, have a great, um, you know, happy holidays and, and happy new year. And uh, thank you all for listening. You have a great happy holidays and new year as well. And we'll see you next time.